It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you solve your marketing problems and grow your e-commerce business. Cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and advice from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello and welcome to this episode of the e-commerce master plan podcast. I'm Chloe Thomas, the creator and host of this award-winning show, and it's my aim in every episode to help you find ways to improve your e-commerce business. Welcome to the seventh episode in our e-commerce growth series sponsored by Clavio. Wow, hasn't it been a ride so far? We've got almost the whole series live. So you can go and binge on it right now. As soon as you've listened to this one, you can go back and listen to the first six. Um, Each and every one of them features a guest or guests handpicked by me to bring you different approaches to growing your e-commerce business. I think you'll agree they've been pretty varied this year. We're covering a lot of different topics. So do make sure you listen into them all because every single one of them's got a great nugget or two that are going to help you take things to the next level this year. In today's episode, we are talking about how you get your mindset right, how you get the things in place you need in place to go to a massive growth process, a process of doubling every year. We'll talk about some of the pitfalls. We'll talk about a couple of the tactics you might want to use. There's a few marketing tactics coming up in here too, and a lot about what to focus on and what to think about. And we're also going to be tackling that tricky subject that is marketing attribution. Um, So lots of really cool, interesting things coming up in this one. I thoroughly enjoyed recording this episode, so I really hope you're going to enjoy listening to it as well. Before we get into that though, please do check out the sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for brands of all kinds and sizes. Whether you're an entrepreneur just starting out or you're part of a marketing team at a multinational brand, Klaviyo will give you everything you need to create memorable marketing moments, building customer relationships that keep shoppers coming back time and time again. Get started with a free account today. Visit klaviyo.com slash masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com slash master plan. And now to introduce today's special guest. John Hagen is the director of growth at Pure Relay. It's a German jewellery brand inspired by Hawaii and founded in 2017 that's already an eight-figure brand and they aim to double in size every single year. Hello, John. Hi, thank you so much for having me on, Chloe. It's great to have you here. It's a it's a very exciting brand you work for. So I'm excited to find out how you how you go about trying to double every year because that it, that is some serious aims. You and I both are trying to figure that one out. So we're <laughs> here as well. Um, but let's let's tell the audience a little bit about how you got into e-commerce first. Yeah, of course. So I got into e-com um, about four years ago at this point. Um, so actually, the guy who I went to high school with was the inventor and uh, made the fidget spinner go viral. So yeah, yeah. So when I heard that happen, I um, I was doing I was in college, right? I was just kind of like a broke college kid working in like a barbecue kitchen here in Kansas City, and uh, I was tired of working college jobs and just wanted something, you know, more. Was 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 a marketing student and knew that I wanted to do something. In in advertising, and I just uh, bugged him basically until uh, he he taught me the ropes. 
started in influencer marketing. And then if you flash forward from, um, from there, about six months later, we were running a marketing agency that was spending seven figures a month online and uh, moved the whole operation out to Los Angeles, California. Um, from Los Angeles, I was doing some, and this is sort of getting a little bit past your question, but this is how I got involved with a German company. So uh, from, from in Los Angeles, uh, we, were, we were doing some really great things, but we were uh, scaling brands horizontally. And I always had this inclination that was like, so we were scaling a lot of brands. And I always had this inclination that was like, what would happen if I put all of my time, energy and effort into one brainchild, right? Like one project. And uh, we were doing some consulting on the side. And that's how I was introduced to and became a full-time employee of Pure Lay. Oh, wow. So you kind of consultant turned director. Consultant turned uh, paid so uh, performance marketing manager turned director. Yes, excellent. And and is it been good to just focus in on one brand? Was it everything you you thought it might be? Yeah, I really you, you know sometimes it feels like you sort of when you work on one brand. It's why I enjoy doing podcasts and collaborating like this because sometimes I feel like you sort of have a myopic view of that one brand that and you get and you can get you can tend to be a little bit trapped in the ideologies that you deem good ideas. Right. And so I think it's a really, um, I miss the collaboration being kind of forced on you until now I have to sort of seek it out, but I love working for Pure Lay. I, I've, I've, it's, it's such an incredible company to work with. And so it's been a, it's been a great journey. And I was it, also to watch it grow. We're, we're now around 140 employees and I was employee 25. So it's, it's been a pretty crazy two years. Yeah. Yeah. There's people going, oh, what, two years? You did that in two years? Because <laughs> um, that's that's kind of the, it's crazy enough to see a journey, a business go from 20 odd employees to to over a hundred. But for for that to happen in just two years and when you're remote is um is an interesting experience, I should think. Yeah. Very interesting experience. You know, one of the thing, one of the things that I think about a lot with these e-commerce companies becoming such a global trend or like becoming such a, you know, stealing so much market share and just becoming such a dominating force is from the beginning, there's almost the scalability can almost be a problem if you know how to scale them correctly. Right. Like employee HR has, has oftentimes been a bottleneck for us because we've just been growing so quickly revenue that providing the infrastructure for human resources can be quite difficult. Yeah. People can be a a stumbling point, can't they? But we're going to get into how you tackle growth um, imminently. But first of all, let's find out a little bit more about how the business is right now. So um, it's in Germany is it only selling to the Germans or are you selling wider than that? Yeah. So this is one of the things as a European business that is, was a foreign concept to me um, originally, right? Was was hitting a ceiling. As an American, um, there are no ceilings here, right? Like we have 350 million people to sell product to. If you hit a ceiling, you're talking about one of, you're, you're going to be one of the largest companies in the, in world right so um we we are selling we've expanded um we've expanded in in europe so we sell primarily we focus on three different markets right now but that's going to expand even further in 2021 so right now those three markets are germany france and italy um and seeing some good success in the earlier markets but that's definitely been one of the difficult growth barriers is hitting is feeling that ceiling and starting to understand what that ceiling looks like and what we need to do accordingly to get past that ceiling um, from a growth perspective. 
Yeah, because it's um, it's not as easy as rolling out from California to uh, to to Arizona. It's uh, <laughs> there's different languages, different payment methods, different legislation. It was at least for most of Europe, apart from us here in the UK, you have at least got one currency. But but it's not it's not simple. No, certainly. And you know, we we um, to be transparent, we basically did it all wrong at the beginning. Um, and we kind of had this mindset that was like, oh, we've got this formula, right? Like it's, it's just plug and play at this point. We figured out how to, you know, we figured out how to break profit and, and make consistent, significant profit in one market. Why don't we just plug this formula into the rest of Europe? And then, and then you learn like, okay, every market has its quirks and every market, like you said, has its legislation and every market has a different consumer that we need to be selling the same product to, um, which, which makes that, that difficulty much, much more, um, substantial. Yeah. Yeah. It's been there. Um, <laughs> so the product is obviously jewelry, um, inspired by Hawaii. Is it, is it as simple as that or is it a bit more complex? Inspire? Yes. So it's, it's relatively as simple as that. It's kind of taken a life of its own. You know, we, we, um, so one of the things that we realized pretty, pretty shortly after me coming on board, um, was, there's two things that sell our product uh, very, very well, and that's product launches, so expanding our product offering and influencers. And so the product launches was something that we went from becoming fairly interested in in 2019 to essentially becoming obsessed with. So we launched product, and, and with that, I would say that the integrity, it, that one of the challenges from the, for the product design team was keeping the integrity of this Hawaiian-based brand um, intact, right? So uh, we launched over 50 collections in 2019. Um, wow. And yeah, it, that was, we almost became, not almost, I would say that we became too obsessed with product launches um, to where we had to dial it back a little bit because every time you launch a product, there's just so many moving pieces. Um, and it's, it, it can be quite difficult to make that launch go off without a hitch. Uh, but, but yeah, so Certainly inspired by Hawaii, we were founded by um, our, our three co-founders and one of them, because one of them studied abroad in Hawaii during during uni. And uh, she, she fell in love with the culture, came back to Germany and uh, did not feel that Hawaiian vibe in, in Germany <laughs> and decided to, uh, decided to bring that to the forefront of, of the branding. Excellent. And what platform are you doing all this on? Are you a Shopify Magento or something else? Shopify Plus. Yeah, we um, there there are some barriers with Shopify Plus. The multi currency is not incredibly built out yet. Um, the you know there there are some some difficulties that that brings about with the multi uh, country necessity. But for all intents and purposes, I think that shop what Shopify has done is is better than all of the alternatives at least that we've explored so far. So yeah, we're on Shopify. And I guess it brings a level of cookie cutter to it, even if. Um the country expansion isn't quite as cookie cutter as, as one would like. Mm. And um, so let's get into, I don't, I don't necessarily want to talk about the exact growth tactics you've used. I'm kind of more interested in how one goes about preparing to grow to double every year in terms of sales, because it's, it's not just a case of spending twice as much on Facebook or sending twice as many emails. It's a lot more complex than that, isn't it? Yeah, I think that one of the most important um, concepts to keep in mind when looking to grow that 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 way uh, is is 
making sure that acquisition is always at the forefront of all of your marketing approaches. And what I mean by that is like, so Byron Sharp has a, has an awesome book called how brands grow. And uh, in that book, he basically talks about how the propensity to grow a brand, uh, a brand's existing customers is exponential. You can add more customers to the brand, like, and that represents massive potential to grow your brand in the in the way that we're trying, you know, in the magnitude that we're trying to grow your brand. Um, and I think that how a lot of brands get this wrong is by looking to generate that revenue from their existing customers. And they say, okay, if we get them involved in a subscription and we get them involved in upsells and customer retention and all those things, then we'll double our, you know, we'll double our revenue. Um, but the, the potential to grow your brand from a, a existing customers is quite abysmal if you actually consider like doubling as a brand. We're not, we always laugh about this, right? Just because we launch products so frequently doesn't mean that our customers get a new paycheck every time we launch a product, right? It, we have to be focusing on expanding into different target demographics, different age groups, different, you know, different um, younger women, older women. And, and then eventually we're, we're, we're going into men's jewelry and those sorts of things. I like, like the fact that, you know, it's that clear focus on the acquisition piece, but also that it's it's about doing acquisition more more intelligently. You know, when you were saying about different demographics, which of course isn't just about who you put your ads in front of, it's also about what the product looks like, presumably as well. It's the whole thing, right? It's, it's what the product looks like. It's what the messaging of the marketing is, you know? Um, like for instance, one of the age groups that we've expanded into is our, our core customer is between 25 and 34. And one of the core demographics that we're tapping into is 35 to 50. And that age group reacts exponentially differently to marketing. They're, they're existing, they're, they're sitting on different platforms. They're, you know, the, the message that you need to be conveying to them is different. The type of jewelry that you need to be putting in front of them is different. All of these things, it's kind of goes back into that, um, plug and play mentality that we erroneously entered into other markets with. If you try to do that with other demographics, you're going to be spending a ton of money on customers that are, that are of a different, um, you know, demographic than your core customer, you're going to be effectively, you're going to be inefficiently marketing to, um, you know, people that aren't going to want to, that don't really care about your brand. And does that take it as far as um, different models for the jewelry, as well as different items of jewelry for those different age groups? You mean models as in like women? As in the human beings. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Like using a, you know, if you want to be, people resonate with people that look similar to them. Right. If you if you want, obviously, there's this element of like older women want to look younger and younger women want to look older. And there's an element of that. Um, but if you put an ad of, you know, if you put an ad of a Victoria's Secret model in front of someone that doesn't look like they're not going to resonate with that person. Right. You have to make sure that you are um, from a psychological perspective, working as hard as possible to um yeah, put the right creative with the right model in front of the right person so that that message resonates with that customer. It's a lot of work, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it it's it's kind of like having having all these funnels for different age groups, different countries. And it's it's not about a copy and paste, but it's about a, we know we need to get this right. We need to get this right. We need to get this right. And, and identifying the model, the model in terms of the system for each customer group. Completely. And, and you're, you're hitting the nail right on, you know, right on the head. I think that 
one of the complex, one of the additional complexities that Europe brings about is all of that, right? You have to have this very tailor fit, customized approach to each uh, market, to each individual consumer. Whereas in the U.S., you know, you, you do have that individual consumer, you do have that individual, uh, like the, that exact problem that we were just discussing. But you can, it's plug and play for all of the U.S., right? However, um, one of the things that I've been pleasantly surprised with in Europe that, that has been something that has, uh, I believe, helped excel at least the work that I've done in Europe is for all of those things that you have, European e-commerce, e and I mean this in a positive way for, for marketers, European e-commerce is essentially two years behind American e-commerce, in my opinion, um, meaning that it's cheaper meaning that they still look at influencers from an ROI perspective as opposed to a brand building perspective because influence marketing isn't out of, as out of control as it is in the U.S. Um, meaning that if you can focus on sort of the epicenter of e-commerce of Los Angeles, if you can focus on what they're doing there, and then you can take those strategies and implement them across the pond, um, there's a very good chance that what you're doing, nobody else is focusing on. Uh, and and can generate massive profit and, and be ahead of the rest of the game, right? I find that very interesting. And those of you listening, I will try and get more people from Los Angeles on the podcast. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I know some of you are thinking that. But what? But I was kind of, as you were saying that, I said, I don't think we are behind. I don't think we're that far behind. And then, then I was like, actually, if I look at how slowly, because I spend a lot of time looking at what's happening in the US and, and learning from people in the US, if you look at how slowly brands in the UK and in Europe took to Facebook ads, I mean, there are so many brands I know of right now who, who have not yet done Facebook advertising, despite the fact they have a product which anyone with half an eye to Facebook ads would be like, oh my God, this is going to be a goldmine. Mm -hmm. I know exactly who we're going to try targeting. I know exactly what the ad needs to look like and away we go. And it's... It's been, I found that slightly frustrating for kind of like four or five years, how bizarre it is brands haven't done it. So I guess that exactly fits with what you're saying in terms of we're behind on that, on that ad buying curve. Well, and then take that principle, right? And consider how actually significant that is. So you have Facebook ads as a topic that people aren't even accepting as a feasible marketing platform for their brand. And then you think about, okay, that's just the concept of Facebook ads, right? Like, let's think about um, all of the intricate strategies that are required once you, once, you once you deem Facebook a feasible advertising channel. Think about all, like, that's like step 0. 0.00001 to finding profit on Facebook, right? And then think about all of the innovative strategies that four years into Facebook advertising, you're implementing, you're, you're scraping the, you know, your entire network to try and figure out what's next, what's next, what's next. Right. And again, I, I genuinely mean that from an opportunistic standpoint in, in Europe, I don't mean it as like a, a slot, you know, as a, as a, as a negative, like if, if, if I'm in Europe, I consider like, okay, there's so much that I can, that I can do here that would be innovative, that would um, generate those types of, of um, you know insights and, and learnings that, that companies in the U.S. I can look to 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 sort of start the ball. And I guess that's that's a key thing. If you're going to set out to double a business every single year, you don't know in January what tactics you'll be using in December to get that. It, it's a test and learn mentality, and a key part of a test and learn mentality is learning from other people mm. who are not your peers. 
Mm. You know, you've got to look to other industries, to other countries to find out what, almost to find those blue ocean strategies that you can bring back and implement and test and, and see what works. Absolutely. I mean, there, there are these companies, um, to, like, for instance, Gymshark is one of them for us, right? You guys are obviously, it's a British company. Gymshark uh, is one that we look to and, der- you know, derive inspiration from. We think that what they've done, they've done what we're looking to do. So we have several companies that are in this kind of ballpark of like, they've done what we're looking to do that we look to for, you know, strategy. And we look to for, um, okay, what's, what's Gymshark doing this Black Friday, right? Okay. They're already, they're already going on sale tomorrow. You know, like that's, that's a big deal. Right. And, and that's something that, that we need to keep, be cognizant of if we want to be uh, like thought leaders in the industry as well as what are the other thought leaders doing. Yeah. And it's interesting that you're, you're a jewelry brand, but it's not another jewelry brand who you want to be. It's a a kind of a, a, a casual clothing apparel brand. And I think that's something which, which I find a lot of, a lot of retailers don't necessarily get their head around. They get, get obsessed with the competition, not necessarily what they should be because you're, you're going to learn a certain amount of the competition. You've got to be aware of what they're doing, but you're not necessarily going to learn from them. You need to learn the best things from, from other people. Yeah. So I kind of, and to go off of that, I kind of group e-commerce plays into two separate categories, right? So I think that the categorical um, like observation of what they're doing is much more important than uh, like, do they sell jewelry? Right. So the two categories that I put e-commerce companies in are, Um, You have these fidget spinner brands, right, where they're selling something that's so extraordinary that you put it in front of a customer and there's like this wow factor. There's this marketable allure where they're just like, oh, my gosh, what is that? I've never seen anything like that before. Right. And then and, and that's awesome. That's great. We're not one of those brands. Right. We're one of the we're one of these brands where it's like how many companies sell a similar product to Pure Light? I don't even know if you could put a number to that. Right. We have uh Hundred hundred dollar price point jewelry that's imported from China, thirty thousand, fifty thousand. <laughs> because of that, we have to be innovative, right? And we have to have these USPs, and we have to have these unique marketing principles and practices that we're implementing on a frequent basis. And I look at Gymshark, and it's the same question, right? How many companies sell athleisure? <laughs> Again, I don't know, but there's a ton of them. And how have they been able to, as a young company, disrupt? And I'm sure they're talking about, you know, Gymshark in the boardroom at Nike and Adidas and Puma and saying, how are they doing these kind of things, right? Um, and, and, you know, we want to be that jewelry brand where the same thing's happening. So for a Pandora, these companies are saying, how is Pure, you know, how is Pure like growing so quickly, right? And so that's why we look to those types of companies for, for growth strategies. And something which which I know you're very passionate about, which I find fascinating but frustrating in equal measure, and which I guess when you're trying to grow this fast, you have to get very, very um, focused in on to make sure you're not wasting the budget you've got, is attribution and trying to work out what it is you're doing that's leading to the sale. Mm. So for the for those listening who have gone, oh God, she's going to talk about attribution. Um, any any advice on on how we can work it out? To uh, resonate with you, I'm also the guy in the company who everybody, I'm sure, every time I bring up attribution, everybody's rolling their eyes, saying, "Oh my gosh, this guy's going to talk about attribution again." But <laughs> <laughs> um, so an interesting journey that we took dating back about a year ago was it actually happened when we were considering Snapchat 
for as a feasible marketing channel for our brand. It was kind of when Snapchat had that shiny object syndrome feel that TikTok has right now, right? Where everybody was, that was the conversation. Are you advertising on Snapchat? Look at how cheap the CPMs are. Yeah, but like, what about the revenue, right? And so we started advertising on Snapchat and we um, we invested about $60,000, something like that. And Snapchat was telling us that we were making 6X our money back. And we were like, oh my gosh, we're barely even trying here, right? And we're hitting the 6X, this is amazing. Like this, let's just scale budgets. And then after we scaled budgets, we came back and we had this feeling of like, okay, revenue's the same. The increase in revenue is not. So if we're making 6X money back, where's the money in Shopify, right? And, and, and this started this like wild goose chase down rabbit hole after rabbit hole of like, where is the incrementality in my marketing actually happening? And so, cause that, cause then right, if Snapchat's messed up, what's stopping Facebook from being messed up? What's stopping Instagram from being uh, misattributing a bunch of sales? And we went down this and then additionally, look into the, look into attribution, Google it, look for books, look for literature. There's not a whole lot. There's really like you go into this and you're like, okay, there's got, you know, like everything in e-com, every entrepreneur, every startup mentality, what's your first, when you, when you come up to a challenge that you've never faced before, Google is your best friend, right? You go to Google and you say, okay, there's millions of resources. Perfect. This is the one you cherry pick. You say, this is the one that I need. And then you take the information from there with attribution. There wasn't anything there. So we started saying, okay, like what, so who, who knows about this? What strategy should we implement accordingly? And without getting too tactical about this, um, basically it transformed our Facebook marketing strategy primarily um, into a, from like a, we accept numbers at surface level into a multi-phase, like multi-faceted approach to say, where's the mic, you know, with how much is this, this $1 putting in actually reaping, you know, the benefit of UTM tags, shortening attribution windows into from, from the 28 day click or yeah, they click one day view, which is absolutely insane down to we view Facebook through a one day click attribution window and these kind of things. And the crazy thing was the more that I talked about this on podcasts, the more that I talked about this to our Facebook rep, um, the industry of e-commerce experts kind of turned like the people outside of like in their own companies weren't very interested in what I was saying. But Facebook is very interested in what I've said. I'm actually in the middle of writing an article for Facebook to be published by Facebook about attribution. I'm on the Facebook product advisory board now. Like these kind of, so it's, it's funny to me because industry experts seem to kind of turn a blind eye to it sometimes. But Facebook is like, this guy's focusing this much on attribution. Like they're, they're really, it's, it's really interesting to see how fascinated they've been about that. See, I've, I've always find attribution fascinating because my when I first got started in e-commerce I was working for mail order brands Mm -hmm. and I was kind of the first head of e-commerce and I was doing all this clever internet stuff like google ads and (laughs) emails and of course there was that immediately led to the you're stealing our catalog sales so kind of like attribution is something that I've worried about since day one of my e-commerce career and it, it is it is kind of it's like well it you get the impression these are just too hard. So we're just going to ignore it, you know, or, or, you know, the boss says we need to look at attribution. So someone will log into Google analytics and go to the attribution modeling, click three things, screen grab them and send them off. We could do it three ways, but none of them really tells us anything. Mm -hmm. Whereas 
you know, and, it, and it's it's like for me, it's always one oh one. You have to at least have all the data in the same place. It's great that Facebook reports back to Facebook. It's great that Google Ads report back to Google Ads. It's great that your email system reports back to your email system. But it's like if I can't have them all reporting in the same place, whether that's Google Google Analytics or something the next level up, then I haven't got a, a hope in trying to work it all out because they're all going to report back everything they possibly can because I would if I was them. Well, and it's great. It's always great to talk to a fellow attribution nerd because they're far and in between. Um, but I mean, think about your skepticism. Like for me, for instance, I, honestly, I didn't consider attribution for two years of me being in the industry. I, I looked at Facebook numbers and I got googly eyes on them. And I said, oh, this is amazing. We're putting $1 in and we're getting $2.50 back. Let's just like, this is what I'm doing is incredible, right? And I think that for one point would be consider how far ahead of the game you were considering that early in, into, the, into your journey into marketing, the one, a very complex, for my opinion, concept of that attribution, right? Th- numbers might not be what they see. But I also think pretty consistently about how you have the, the occasional one-off like, like yourself or like some other people that will reach, you know, some other brands that are deep into the brand journey will reach out to me. Finally, somebody, you know, like, that's so interesting. Like we've been th- focusing on this too, and this is what we've done with it. Everybody has their own different proclivities and, and you know, own different strategies that they're implementing. Um, but one of the things that I consider with this is how, I, I completely get it. Like I completely understand why it takes so long to come up with an attribution solution because consider the uh, Facebook. Facebook doesn't want the, the marketer to think that Facebook's making any less money than what it's reporting on their, on their, in their Facebook, um, you know, their, their ads manager. Consider agencies. Agencies don't want to prove to you that they're making any less money for your brand because their, their pay is typically tied to how much money they're making for your brand. So you consider that, and then and then in-house marketers most of the time don't have time to focus on these things. They've got a wide variety of things that they could focus on instead of proving to their boss that they're actually making less money for their company than they than than they previously thought. Right. So un- unless you can create this ecosystem of security for the marketer and allow them to think about deeply about attribution and research it, you're never going to find any solution there. E-commerce master plan is supported by some of the greatest companies in the e-commerce sector. Here's a reminder of who they are. Success in 2021 means building stronger relationships with your customers. Last year saw a lot of consumers switching to buy online, leading to surges in new customer acquisition. So how are you planning on turning your new first-time buyers into profitable repeat customers? Well, that's what Clavio is for. Clavio helps businesses create memorable marketing moments through email, SMS and personalised website experiences. And that is what creates repeat purchases. That's why Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform is used by over 50,000 e-commerce brands around the world. Get started with your free account today. Visit klaviyo.com slash masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. It's time for the top tips round. Okay, uh, now we've blown everyone's minds with attribution. We're now going to get something much, much simpler, which is the top tips round. So uh, these are here to give me and our listeners some quick ideas for taking our businesses to the next level. So, John, are you ready for the top tips? I'm ready. Let's do it. 
Cool. Okay. The book top tip. If everyone listening to this podcast agreed to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better, which book would you recommend? So as we as we noted before we got on here, I have I, I read a lot and, and I try to make it a focal point of what I do. Um, my favorite book, and maybe this will be a uh, positive for those of the listeners who aren't in, as interested in reading, is about a seventy-page research document. Um, so you can get, I got through it in a week, um, but it's about a seventy-page research document that is about as boring and insightful as it possibly gets. It's called The Long and the Short of It by the Institution of Practitioners uh, of Advertising. And uh, I, I think that it completely changed the way that I view um, my job. And it, it's about balancing short-term, and lo- short-term acquisition with long-term brand growth. Um, and it's actually written by a UK author, um, two, two, two authors, and they're, they're, I think they're absolutely brilliant. Cool. So we've got a nice short book for you all there. John, did you want to give two books? I can give multiple books. So the other one, it, it, for for um, for those writing copy, uh, I think that copy is one of the things that especially media buyers struggle with the most at the beginning. Cashvertising by Drew Whitman is like I think the gold standard of copywriting. Um, it's it's it, it, it like within I think a couple of pages in, you understand the concept of what he's talking about. But I resort back to it on a frequent on a frequent basis. And then the other one is uh, eating the big fish, which is great for um, kind of understanding how to harness the power and the abilities that you have at your disposal as a small brand competing with large brands and, and, and really getting into the mix of, of how to, in the customer's mind, be positioned as a large brand, even though you might not be. Nice. I think those three give us a, a real insight into your head. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, the traffic top tip. Which marketing method do you either prize above all others or think doesn't get the press it deserves? This is another one that we could have a podcast on in itself. But I, I think that my tra- my traffic top tip is dark posting. Um, so we run ads from our influencers uh, or, or from our influencers' profiles. This is like my number one top tip for uh, for, for paid social, especially for e-commerce. And if you don't know what dark posting is, there is actually some decent literature out there on it. Um, but it, it is, it is by far basically the focal point of what we do with paid social for pure lay. And going back to our conversation earlier, it's sort of one of those things that when I, I actually brought it from my agency to, uh, pure lay. And one of the responses that I got, I don't actually think it was when talking to Purely, but frequently when talking to other Europeans about dark posting was, um, yeah, but no influencers do that. And it's like, but that's why you should be doing it, right? That's why every, that should be magic. And that should be, you know, perfect. Like that's exactly, that's when you say, heck yes, let's double down and let's, you know, let's make this happen. That's not when you shy away from something in e-com. So um, dark posting is, is my traffic tip. And just so so we're clear, that is paying for ads about your product via the in by the via the influencer's account. So it's not your ad, it's their ad, but you're paying and managing it. You got it. Exactly. It's you know, as a lifestyle brand, what we attempt to do is synthesize person to person sales. And that is the way that we do it through our paid social is having an influencer. Uh, for having an ad from an influencer's profile. If you're interested in Pure Lay, if you've ever visited our website, you've probably gotten hit with a dark post from us because it's just that darn good. 
Nice. Uh, the tool top tip, maybe a collaboration tool, a social media plugin, a phone app, or just a way of working. Is there a cool little tool you use that makes you and your team more efficient from day to day? To go extremely simplistically, Slack. I love Slack. I think Slack is a brilliant, and it, like I, I think that it, it's, it's crazy to me how many companies I meet that don't use Slack. I don't even know how they do it um, as a small, you know, e-com uh, business. But um, to go a little bit more complex, going back to dark posting, um, Lumanu is an American company, but they have been instrumental in scaling our dark posting efforts and making that process of getting the access from the influencer and, and kind of dealing with the nitty gritty details that are difficult, um, streamlined, simplified and scalable. Nice. Okay, the growth top tip then. If you met someone today who's focused on growing their e-commerce business from 100 orders per month to 1,000, what would be your number one tip for them? Figure out how to break profit with influencers. Um, one of the reasons that I say this is because in 10 years, I don't think that'll be possible. Uh, so there's there's a time, you know, there's a there's an expiry date. Um, but that will be the thing that not only drives sales for your brand, um, but puts, but combines a mental, uh, you know, creates a mental comparison for your, your, your target customer base, your brand and that influencer, right? When you're doing those low levels of revenue, trust is one of the hardest things to, to, to generate, right? You don't have reviews. You don't have, uh, you don't have a lot of notoriety. You're, you're not well known. Um, and if you can get an influencer to actually fall in love with your brand and actually candidly organic feeling, native feeling, promote your product, I don't think there's a better thing for your company. Excellent. Okay, John, before we say goodbye, could you let the listeners know where they can find you and your business on the web and social media, please? Yeah. Um, so just to find the business, first and foremost, just go to purelay.com or follow us on Instagram, which is at purelay and purelay is P-U-R-E-L-E-I. Um, you can find me on Instagram. My name, my handle is John Andrew Hagen. You can follow me on, on LinkedIn. Um, I'm quite active there as well. And then Facebook additionally. Excellent. Well, look, John, you've given us a lot to think about today, um, how to go about doubling the size of our business every year. So, um, so thank you for coming on. It's been really, really interesting talking to you. So, um, so thanks for sharing so much. This has been such an enjoyable experience. Thank you so much for having me on as well. So hopefully we haven't scared you off trying to set some huge growth targets in your business. Um, really interesting there to see, I guess, how the mindset, how the things you focus on changes when you're going for that fast growth mentality. Um, also interesting, the uh, the the difficulty there is in scaling in Europe versus the difficulty in the US, just simply due to the volume of people who speak the same language and um, have the same kind of uh, kind of outlook on life, I, I guess, and the same habits. Thoroughly enjoyed chatting with John. There, we will be getting him back on the podcast. He's just agreed to come on the Keep Optimizing podcast. That's our sister podcast. Where we focus on a marketing method each month, and he's just agreed to come on and talk about that dark posting thing next time we cover Facebook ads. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, you can get your hands on the notes from today's show, including those excellent top tips he gave us, links to the various other things we discussed, and the notes for this show. You can get all of that at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast. 
There you can also add yourself to our email list so you don't miss out on any of the other things I share, including when John comes back to talk about dark posting. Um, So make sure you're there so you can get all the other stuff I share to help you grow your business. So I make no apology for the fact that this month we've given you a lot of new ideas, a lot of things to add onto your to-do list. Here on e-commerce master plan, we've brought you eight episodes, well, we will have done by Thursday, in our e-commerce growth series sponsored by Clavio. And over on Keep Optimizing, we're covering four different foundational areas that are key to building your marketing for success. There is a lot we've sent you this month, a lot of strategies, a lot of tactics, a lot of tools, a lot of ideas. So next week... Yes, the first week of February, we are going to be hosting a very special 2021 planning webinar. Um, I'm going to be taking you through three areas. I'm going to be taking you through how to set your goals for the year. I'm going to take you through a couple of systems that you can follow to help you work out what you should actually do to hit those goals. And then I'm going to give you some tips too around getting organised so the whole thing actually happens. Hopefully by now you've got Christmas and the January sales completely out of your hair and you're ready to really think about what you need to achieve this year and how you're going to do it. Well, that's why you need to get yourself signed up because I'm going to help guide you through that process, make it a lot more straightforward, make it a lot more achievable and a lot more deliverable. You can save your space for this free webinar right now by going to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash webinar. I hope to see you next week. Now, we're almost at the end of our 2021 e-commerce growth series sponsored by Clavio. It has been a blast. So I hope you've got a lot of good inspiration from it. We've got one episode left to put live for you. It's going to be out on Thursday and it's an absolute gem. Our experts are back and they're sharing their top tip for success in 2021. Trust me, you do not want to miss this episode. So put it in your diary for Thursday now. Put down must listen to e-commerce master plan experts episode. That's what you need to put on Thursday. Get it in there. You will not regret it. Well, look, I bring you a new interview every week because I'm aiming to inspire and help as many e-commerce business owners as possible to succeed and thrive with their business. So please do tell the other e-commerce business owners you know about what we're up to this month because I'd love for them to hear about it, to listen to these episodes and ultimately to help them achieve their goals too. I hope you have a great week and keep optimizing. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com slash podcast.